Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you again for joining me on this sports podcast where we have a lot of football to break down and talk about today. First up, it's going to be Kent Brown talking about the college football national championship game where LSU defeated Clemson. Kent, like myself, is a little bit of a degenerate, so we're going to break down what that game meant uh, in terms of the betting side. LSU just dominant all year. Joe Burrow, Coach O going into immortality. The uh, top college football players of all time list. We have some thoughts about that, as well as looking ahead to next season. Don't want to miss that with Kent Brown. And then it's Chris Miller, my NFL guy, to talk about the final four in the NFL. The divisional round was exciting. The Titans steamrolling the Ravens. The Chiefs coming back against the Texans. And the Niners and Packers set for a conference championship showdown in the NFC. It's Kent Brown and Chris Miller on today's Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, college football season in the books. Kent Brown is here, the man that, in the final fight in Rocky Three, bet against Rocky. Thanks for joining the show. Yeah, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, so I guess sometimes you win some, you lose some. Uh, Rocky Three, obviously, Eye of the Tiger, I get the theme. Last yeah. night's game, the two Tigers. So, uh, And unfortunately, I bet on the wrong one. I had Clemson, so I was rooting for the Tigers that didn't end up winning, and Worst case, I hope they covered. Then worst case, I hope they covered my teaser. And ultimately, all I won was a first half over and lost pretty much everything else. Yeah, you know, I had LSU, but Kent, that over in the game, that really hurt, especially because Clemson's touchdown getting taken away at the end and then LSU running the clock out. Uh, just, it's why overs and me don't work. Oddly enough, unders at the end of bowl season started to work, but that was the part that was backbreaking. But props to uh, LSU and really Kent. Before we get into their offense and Burrow, that LSU defense in the second half was lights out. I think that was what surprised me the most. Yeah, in the first half, I feel like Clemson had opportunities kind of the same way Ohio State did against Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl where they could have built up a lead. You're kicking field goals instead of touchdowns. You're punting if you're Clemson. I think three times in LSU territory they punted in the first half. And you just have to score points because Joe Burrow is going to get hot. Jefferson, Chase, Marshall, Moss, those guys are going to make plays. And you can't depend on a lower-scoring game to win you the game and at halftime they're down 11 you feel like okay you get the ball back after you stop LSU on the opening drive then Clemson goes down and scores they get a two and at that point it seemed like okay this is going to be a dog fight until Mm -hmm. the final minute and from that point on Clemson's offense never really got in sync Uh, LSU's offense was sharp enough whether it was Joe Burrow finding the tight end whether it was him rushing for first downs. And then again, anytime they got one-on-one on the outside, it was evident. And that's what LSU has been doing all year. They've been very smart. They've been deliberate in terms of how they want to check out the defense. They want to make sure they have a one-on-one matchup. And wherever that one-on-one matchup is, Joe Burrow all year was finding that player. And he had Herb Street mentioned it on the broadcast, You know, five playmakers virtually out there on every play. And Joe Burrow just doesn't seem to make the wrong read. 60 touchdowns, 80% completions throughout the year. And in my opinion, the best single-season quarterback I've ever seen in college. I kind of was leaning towards Cam Newton heading into this game as the best single-season I had ever seen from a college quarterback. Right. And a lot of that was Cam Newton had to carry that team on, its, on his back. The defense wasn't all that strong. But Joe Burrow just – he didn't even have a good game. 
in one of his 15 games. He had great games, all 15 of his games. And you saw last night that he was the best player on the field in that game. And you're right, LSU's defense has to get the credit. But Clemson had to know. They, at minimum, had to get 35 points to have a chance to win that game. And they couldn't get it done. Yeah, and and I think the big difference, I'm with you, Burrow having the best season in our lifetimes for sure, probably ever. Cam was the one, but he didn't have the bow on the season that Burrow did in the title game. That game was an ugly game that Cam could have played a little better in. Burrow throws five touchdowns against the defending, undefeated, (laughs) defending national champs. Uh, Another thing about Clemson in this game, Kent, uh, Lawrence, we're both big fans. I think there's a lot of potential for them, not only him and his future, but the team to come back and bounce back from this game. That was about as bad as he's looked. He didn't even complete 50% of his passes, and I think advanced stats had him overthrowing like 13 receivers, which was an insanely high number. I know a lot of that has to get credit. you got to give credit to LSU's defense and their pass rush on him, but it was a little weird to see Lawrence have his first bad game as a college player be in this stage and, and look pretty poor at times. Yeah, he's so good that you just expect him to worst case be pretty, yeah, you know, yeah, a, a little bit above salt. average. Yeah. And in this game, in the second half in particular, after that initial drive, there just wasn't much going on. You're right, he overthrew passes. He didn't necessarily look comfortable in the pocket. Trevor Lawrence is usually a guy that will stand in the pocket even when it collapses, and he'll find a guy or at least he'll look towards a guy that he trusts will make a play. And in this game, he just didn't seem like he had that, and that's where the credit does fall to LSU. This was not a high-end LSU pass defense, and I get Stingley, freshman All-American, well, All-American as a freshman. You have Christian Fulton, who... I really feel like they kind of abused in the first half and early portions of the second half, but Fulton's a high draft pick. Grant Delpit's a high draft pick. But as a whole, LSU was pretty vulnerable because their front seven this year had left a lot to be desired when they went up against Mm -hmm. Tua or they went up against Kyle Trask in Florida or teams like that, even Texas with Sam Ellinger. Those teams put up a ton of points, a bunch of yards. And in this game, maybe they were – They've seemingly has been playing better lately. If you look at the Georgia game, the SEC title game, LSU's defense was lights out. Against Jalen Hurts, they played really well. So maybe they're finally getting things together. But for the first 10, 11 games this season, that was not an overall strength of the team. If you looked at advanced metrics going into this game, you had like LSU and Clemson's offenses were both top three. Clemson's defense was top three. And then LSU's defense was close to 30th. It was not in that upper echelon. This is actually statistically the worst defense Mm -hmm. to ever win a college football playoff, but it stepped up big last night. It stepped up big in the sugar bowl or sorry, in the peach bowl. And it stepped up big in the sec title game. So overall, I feel like for LSU, they peaked at the right time. And when you're scoring 50 points a game on offense, you sometimes don't need necessarily to hold a team under 30. No, you certainly don't. Uh, Kent Brown here on the Money Mitch effect. And Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, is, you mentioned him, but he, he's incredible as a true freshman, a true shutdown corner. He's only going to get better in his two, we think, only two years left in Baton Rouge before he goes to the pro game. But he's phenomenal. LSU's offense continues to roll. Kent, I do want to get your opinion on another one of the, it's almost weird to say unsung hero for a starter and a skill position, but a guy that in the shadow of Burrow doesn't really get a lot of the credit on the national stage. But Edwards Hilaire, the running back, Kent, what do we think of him going forward? Because every time I watch him play, he stands out to me. He's as hard to tackle as any running back in college. He's only a junior. 
What's the future look like for him, both, uh, I guess, at the college level, if there is another year, and then going pro? Yeah, I don't know yet about his decision. I would assume he'll go pro. Most running backs, you probably should. There's not a lot of reason to come back for a fourth year. But on the other hand, maybe he'll look at himself as, I'll be kind of a co-star along with Jamar Chase, who has to come back. He's only a sophomore. And the fact that he'll know he, he'll get a ton of touches. It's funny. You watch last night's game, and both ETN and Edwards Alaire are almost statistically the two toughest running backs after contact in the country. Mm-hmm. Edwards Alaire is so powerful. If you watch him, he's not tall, but he's thick. His legs are big. He's the mm-hmm. type of guy that, you know, weight room coaches, strength coaches must love having a guy like that whenever they see him come in as a freshman. And you're right. He, and he also – Seemingly his feet near the sideline, he does a great job of being able to stop quickly, force a generally a corner or safety to miss, and then he goes up the sideline. He did it against Bama with Trayvon Diggs, who's potential first-rounder. He did it last I'll night with A.J. Terrell, who might be a first-round corner. These are not like guys – he's not playing against Furman making them miss or, you know, Louisiana Tech. He's doing it against, you know, high-end Alabama, Georgia – Clemson athlete so yeah I like Edwards Alaire a lot also you brought up Stingley it's apparently he's going to play both ways next year he's going to be a receiver and a cornerback this year they just they wanted him to acclimate himself hey look you're going to be a freshman you're going to start a corner and we'll see what happens offensively but by all accounts next year the plan is to play him I bet he won't get 50 snaps a game but if he's out there 30 snaps and maybe a couple more plays on defense that he takes rest on He's a guy that I think will have a chance to, you know, be in that Heisman discussion next year. If he's, let's say he puts up seven or eight interceptions, I think this year he had six. And what if he has seven touchdowns and he's a return man? He can, you know, the fact that they're defending national champions, Derek Stingley Jr. goes in the next year with a lot of hype and justifiably so. He was the best freshman in the country by far. Yeah, LSU, it's not going to be a bare cupboard by any stretch of the imagination, even with the movement, even with the coaching movement that we'll get into. Coach O, Coach Ogeron has them lined up for success down the road, even if they are going to lose some key pieces, as every champion does. Ken, we got to go to Burrow now, because I agree that this season was transcendent. It's one we won't forget. It puts him on a short list with the greatest college football seasons by any position ever, 60 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Last night he threw for 63%. It was his lowest percentage of the year. Every every other game was above 70%. I had one two-interception game, and that was it. Burrow did everything, including last night, run the ball 14 times. Showed a lot of grit and determination. Might have been banged up. But when I watch him play, you know, and it's the cliche side of it, Kemp, but you know he has something special, and you know he's just going to continue to make plays. There wasn't a time LSU had the ball in a clutch situation where I didn't think he was going to do something special. Uh, I don't know what he's going to be at the next level, but I know that he reads defenses as well as any college quarterback I've seen. That and on top of it, last night was the first time that there was a real challenge and a question of, they're down 10 points, how are you going to react? And he marched him down the field, scored two a touchdown. two best drives of the game, by the yeah, way. And, yeah, and before you know it, it goes from 17-7 to 28-17 at the half. And that's everything you want out of your Heisman winner, out of your All-American, out of your team captain. And, you know, unfortunately, with you being a Browns fan and me being a Steelers fan, <laughs> yeah. we might have to watch him be a Bengals quarterback the next 10 years. And I, I don't necessarily look forward to that. But he does have confidence and you watch him, and the fact that he's a guy who 
you know, didn't win the job at Ohio State, competed for the job well by all accounts. He just didn't beat out Haskins, and he sat behind Barrett before that. You know what? He didn't put up a fight about it. You know, like he didn't put up a stink about it. He left. He went to another Power 5 program, and he competed for the job there. Opening game, beat Miami, you know, in Jerry World, which is not a given at that time that he would do that. And last year had a pretty good season. They ended up winning the Fiesta Bowl and building something, but you never thought it would get to this level. And I I like what a lot of scouts have been saying is you watch him and he just gets better and better. He's not a guy that heading into the season people had as a first-round pick. He was draftable, probably would have went third, fourth, fifth round. But you watched him in September, he got on the map. In October, he solidified himself. And by November, he was the best player in college football. And there's not anything about this season that makes you think he won't be good at the next level. And you're right. He's confident. He's accurate. He reads defense as well. He's athletic. And he's also seemingly the type of guy that, yeah, as you said, if it's third and seven and you're down three points in the fourth quarter, you're going to feel like he's going to get you those eight yards and keep alive that drive. And you can't ask for much more than what you've seen out of him this past three, Mm -hmm. four months. Yeah, it's funny when Coach O said that that Texas game when they converted that long conversion late in the game that he knew that they had a chance to win the title. But that was an eye-opening moment because we didn't know the progression. That was the first real test they had that Burrow got so much better in the offseason. I wonder though, Coach Brady now going to the NFL working under Rule in the, in the Panthers. Can you think that's going to be a big loss for LSU? I know they got to figure out their new quarterback situation. But that passing game coordinator now an NFL OC is 30 years old. I mean, it was... Unreal. As good as Burrow was, this guy Brady needs as much credit. Oh, it's a big loss. If you look at what he did this year, he, him coming in and really progressing this offense and putting them in a position where LSU football, we're so used to them being run on first, run on second, mm. pass on third if you have to. And there was no guarantee when he got there that he was going to be able to change the climate and change the way LSU runs their show. Uh, he's not the OC by name. Clearly, he was working with Steve Ensminger, calling the plays and putting together the game plan. But in his one year, it was outstanding. It was as good as you could imagine. And maybe his future is in the NFL or maybe he comes back to the college game as a head coach. I kind of have a feeling he's going to end up being, if not an NFL head coach, he's going to be in the NFL ranks for a long time going forward. But, yeah, I, I do think it's a loss because I just – I have watched a lot of LSU football over the years, and this year was the first time that I actually thought they maximized their athleticism. There's never been a debate on LSU football when they take the field that athleticism-wise, they're as good as it gets. They're mm-hmm. there with Alabama, with Clemson, with Ohio State, you name it. They, I believe they have the most players in the NFL right now on current rosters, but then you'd watch them play, and they didn't compete the way – Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson were competing. Now, if they can maximize that, and the fact that the system's now in place, I do think whoever fills that void becomes the receiver's coach will probably not be much different in terms of mentality-wise, but the fact that you lose that sort of great mind, an up-and-comer that's clearly a talented new guy into the scheme of things, the fact that he's somebody who we had not heard of a year or two ago, and now he's LSU's passing game coordinator and now the offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers back-to-back days 
that's a pretty good accomplishment. But look, LSU is not going to fall back to where they were a few years ago where they're running a 1993 offense. But on the other hand, it's a void that now needs to be filled. And mm-hmm. I don't see who I don't see who can fill that void, Mitch. I just think if you can be 80% as good as Joe Brady was, that's still better than 98% of the play callers in college football. I mean, Beckham and Landry had to be like, where was this guy when we were in college? And they had all that talent and running a very boring offense. But you Brady... saw Beckham <laughs> celebrating last night. I mean, I mean, Handing he out some cash. Something. He was going to hand out cash. He, that probably wasn't the only cash he handed out uh, before the sun came up, I want to say. But I also think that Brady, I mean, five years ago, he was a grad assistant at the school you really respect a lot and have admiration for Kent Penn State. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been a good day for the people up in Happy Valley. I just, uh, you know, it's like OJ got away with murder and then he ends up going back into uh, jail for stealing memorabilia. And eh, you got away with the Sandusky stuff. You might not want to just start doing what you're doing allegedly. Hazing allegedly, yeah, yeah, man. Can we think about changing the name of the city because uh, it's not, <laughs> not happy right about now. Uh, last thing on this game in this season, uh, Kent, Coach O, I mean, the guy that got to this point kind of was a hire that most people panned, thought that it wasn't going to work out. USD had a chance to have him, and, and they passed on him. He's now led this team to a title. He's got them set up nicely uh, for the next decade and beyond with the recruiting pipeline. And maybe, just maybe, coached one of the best teams one of the best single season teams in college football history so it's a stunning turn of events and it may be like like i was just saying it might be the best team we've seen with all those top 10 wins and just how they thrash the competition from start to finish yeah it's one of those i questioned the hire at the time because he was such a failure at Ole miss and then even though he did a good job at sc when he had to fill in as the interim guy it was still pretty evident that you know he was not on paper the guy that the established coaches across college football were. But I think the one thing he learned from that Ole Miss job was you can't micromanage everything. You need to trust your assistants. You need to understand what you do well and what they do well. And if you watch what he's done, Dave Aranda stayed there. Remember, Aranda was not his hire. Aranda was the hire previously by Les Miles, but he was already locked into that program. Ed Ogeron came in with a defensive mentality he didn't then run the defense. He let Dave Aranda continue to run that defense. And then offensively, going in and getting a guy like Joe Brady to change things up, you know, that's a smart thing. So I feel like Ogeron had to humble himself, had to understand that I'm not necessarily this guy that's going to be calling the X's and O's on the sideline, but I'm a good recruiter. I love this university. I can certainly bring in talented players. And then I can work with my coaches to make sure those guys get better. And Seemingly, that's what he's done. Uh, you know, now will he be able to keep this going two, three years, where he's winning the SEC West, or he's winning the SEC championship, or going to a playoff? I have no idea about that. But he certainly is putting LSU in much better shape than I would have thought when they hired him, or especially when he was, you know, getting crushed by Alabama the last several years. So, yeah, great job by Coach O. He's a very likable guy. He's somebody who clearly, you know, is not. The, as Dabo Swinney said in his post game, he goes, he has a similar path to what I had, where you get brought in, but there's a lot of people that want you out. They don't think you're going to do well, and they're just waiting for you to make that mistake. And Ed O'Geron, certainly, you could have justified, oh, he'll never be saved and he'll never beat 
Alabama, but now he's the national champion. And I don't know if this is necessarily the path he drew up for himself 15 years ago, but seemingly it worked. And I do think that first job he had with Ole Miss did change the way he coached going forward after that, because, yeah. you know, sometimes you have to learn to fail before you can then improve. And clearly that's what he's done. I also think it shows you too, that you don't need a quote unquote, big name, a, a, a sexy hire to, to find something here. You need because, the right fit. Yeah, you need the right fit. I mean, obviously, you don't want to just hire anybody, but, you know, not being a big name. I mean, we can go throughout history that there are examples like Dabo, like Ogeron, like Pete Carroll at USC, where you need the right fit, but you don't need to hire just the biggest name and, and have the biggest contract and all the hoopla. So good for Coach O. Uh, they're set up nicely. We look at next year already because we're degenerates and we like to do that. The 2020 season looks like Clemson is the favorite to start. Lawrence and Fields atop the Heisman list. Some teams we should be on the lookout for and some players maybe, Kent, for those Heisman futures? Yeah, so I would say overall right now it seems to be the top four is a very big consensus of Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU. And really it's Clemson, Ohio State, one, two, and then whatever order you want to have three and four – after that, it kind of falls off in that, you know, I've seen Oregon, I've seen Georgia, I've seen, you know, a whole bunch of teams. Notre Dame's been in that mix for that 7-10 to 10 spot. But realistically, I think right now, when you go into next season, what you have to look at is Ohio State is absolutely the team to beat in the Big Ten. There's no, there's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. I think Clemson clearly is the team to beat in the ACC, and Oregon is clearly the team to beat on the West Coast in the Pac-12. Those three are evident. Oklahoma right now certainly seems to be that same way because Lincoln Riley's back. It will be another new quarterback, most likely Spencer Rattler, who was a freshman this year. So let's even pin them in as a team to beat. Then that leaves the SEC with Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and LSU, most likely. If you want to throw in A&M or Auburn or whoever, all of a sudden that becomes a pretty muddled-up conference. And maybe for the first time, and I'm not Ooh. saying this will happen, oh. but for the first time, does maybe the SEC beat up itself enough that if you get the front runners in these other conferences that actually do their job and win their biggest games? Now, part of that is Oregon does play Ohio State out of conference. Yeah. Texas has to go play LSU. So realistically, one of the Big Ten or Pac-12 favorites are going to have a loss by September 12th that night. But I look at it and I go, if let's just say LSU's not nearly as good as they were this year. Let's just say for argument's sake, Bama, now without Tua, and most likely with Mac Jones, let's just say they're not a 12-win team either. And Florida and Georgia kind of beat each other. Like, one of them win that game, but then one of them loses against another good opponent. Could we maybe see the SEC sitting out of the playoff next year? I think for the first time since the playoffs existed, it's, it's on the table. Up until this year, I would not have ever said that going into a season. But you can tell me next year that it's the champions from the other four leagues. Or if you want to throw mm-hmm. a wild card and say that Notre Dame gets back there after being there two years ago, then that might keep out an SEC team. So I'll just that, that might be something that doesn't get a lot of talk going into August. But again, come October, come November, you might see a lot of 10 or 9 win teams in that conference. But unless there's an 11-1 and or 12-0 and team, maybe all of a sudden the SEC for the first time is not part of the playoffs maybe but i think oklahoma is going to have no respect with the voters or very little going into next year based on their playoff performance you could be right i think florida is a team that if you're looking for a 
a non-top ranked team going in. I know they're going to be in the top ten. Yeah, they're going to be ranked like six, seven. Yeah, that'd be a future bet that I think's worth value because you can get a good, you can get good odds on that, and you know it's set up for them with Georgia taking a step back, uh, to say the least, with all that's happened there. Uh, oh, there's another future bet I was going to mention. It's not football related, but uh, most likely you uh, cheat to win a baseball game. The Astros are minus seven thousand. So. Oh my so God! Yeah. How about <laughs> throw that uh, out there. so many Dodgers fans I know from these last couple of years now that are just like, "Well, we could have won two World Series," and it's like, "Well, but that's not the way it works." But yeah, that's uh, that's a whole whole other ball game there with baseball and cheating. And look, it's it's one of those deals. Everybody probably on some level in these pro organizations are doing things. It's just you're not going to hear about the teams that go you know, 65 wins in baseball or the teams that win 74 games. You're going to hear about the champions. You're going to hear about the teams at the top. And, uh, you know, with college football, look at recruiting. It's a good example of that. The teams that do it best probably have the most dirt, but realistically, how else do you sign seven top 100 (laughs) players or five four-star players or five five five-star players? You're not doing it by just convincing the mother that, hey, your son's going to go to a really nice school and get education. You might get five of the top 100 kids that their family will buy that, but eh, the other 95, not not as much. But uh, overall, hey, look, it was a great college football season. We got together and watched a bunch of games. We certainly were chatting and texting about a bunch. Uh, I think one little negative, a little tear teardrop came down my eye last night when I heard Nick Rolovich leaving Hawaii. I know. Going to Washington State. He was such an established God. person there. And when that when that hit, our old you know pal of the show, Matt Gothard and I and you this year, we loved betting Hawaii. Yeah. And now it's I don't know who their coach is going to be. I don't know if I can trust a guy. I knew I could trust roll of it, especially those home games. And McDonald's like leaving too, right? He's going pro or trying to go pro. I guess I don't know what what's going on there. Yeah, it's just uh, so our Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. We might have we might have reached peak Hawaii this year. And starting in 2020, we'll, we'll have to look the other way. The other thing, by the way, I always got to get one thing in that I don't know if you'll cut out or not. So I'll say this. Okay. Jim Brown winning. And I, I'm not denigrating Jim Brown as a pro player. As an NFL running back, he's about as good as it's ever got. Okay. I, I, college, I hear what you're going to say. Okay. It, it's as fair. As a college running back, Jim Brown is nowhere close to being the best college football player of all time, let alone even the best running back let alone even the best running back that's ever been at Syracuse. That's Ernie Davis. On the other hand, ESPN could have really made some news last night, and it would have actually been justified in some way. Reggie Bush? mm, You're getting hot. Okay, yeah. Right color. color. 32? The Cardinal in gold. If you could have said, and you can make a very – I'll say this. You can make more of a legit claim that O.J. Simpson is one of the top 11 college football players of all time and it's pretty valid. You really can't argue it too much. I just don't understand the Jim Brown thing at all. So if you could have thrown OJ and a Donald Trump at the Superdome together, oh boy, that could have been a whole other subplot. Well, it's fair. I think the biggest beef would be that there was nobody within the last like 30 years on that list, which, I mean, come on. And I just want to know what the process is. They didn't really do an NFL 100 well, like, show. And... Who, who is your best? Who's the best that you've seen? And In my lifetime? Been... Or so yeah, since, yeah, since you've been watching college football, who is like the the name you think of when you think of the best college football player that 
uh, that you've seen. And not just a one year, because the reason why I wouldn't put Newton or even Burrow is because it was really one year where they really did it. But career-wise, I mean, as much as I don't like to say it, because I rooted against him and I went to the swamp. Mm-hmm. To yeah, no, I, I'm almost. I think I might agree with you. It might be Tebow. Tebow's right there, man. In Tebow, my yeah. in our lifetime, if we're talking like we started, give or take, mid to late '90s on, it's hard to yeah. really. It's hard to really. I mean, he's definitely top two or three. Well, here was my actual team. If you wanted to throw yeah. a little nugget, Go I ahead. mentioned to a buddy of mine, my old co-host of my Gridiron Wake Up Call NFL podcast. And I put together just a brief. This is just off the top of my head, but I went. Tebow was my quarterback. Yeah. Ricky Ricky Williams was my running back. I just that guy was everything you'd want. I'd say Williams and Williams ahead of Dane. Those would probably be my one too. Okay. R- Reggie Bush is the all-purpose guy. Meaning, yeah. you know, you just give him the ball. I'll mm-hmm. put him in there. Larry Fitzgerald for a receiver. Uh, another yeah. guy that's kind of on the OJ spectrum, so to speak. Kellen Winslow at tight end. <laughs> Uh, Orlando Pace is my offensive lineman. I don't, I don't, yeah. I've never seen anybody as good as him. I mean, Quentin Nelson might actually be. We need some, close. Good, we need some good guys on this team, so that's a good choice. Well, <laughs> some classic guys. Well, well, the next guy. Oh wait, oh no, we get, we're getting a tight end. Oh no. Well, no, we already, we already mentioned Winslow, but and Dominican Sue as D line. So on the field, he's actually yeah. been kind of a piece of crap. Off the field, I guess he's okay. Yeah, my linebacker yeah. just as we're doing this, our my linebacker just retired. We, we quickly, yeah. Uh, Lavar Arrington was close. I think Arrington was excellent, but I would go just in terms of just pure tackle ability and pretty much between the hashes, he just had covered with Boston College. I think Keekley was outstanding. My cornerback, the first name I think of is Charles Woodson. I don't even think it's close. Yeah, you got to go with that one. And then safety, Sean Taylor. So that was kind of my group. Well, if we're going to do two safeties, they're both from the U because I've got to put Ed on there. Yeah, exactly. His mentor, the one who started over him before Sean Taylor took over. But realistically, I do think Tebow probably is the guy in that list. If you're just going to say since year 2000, let's say, and round it off for the last 19, the last 20 years, I can't think of a really a better career than what that guy had. The only one, and that's a great team. I agree with most of it. The only one that I might challenge you on is uh, Fitz, the receiver. I love him, but he only played, what, two years? He was a sophomore, but he had the military academy. So he, I think, right? Do I have that right? He only Correct. played two years yes. in college. Yeah. So that yeah, might be I, one to go and, and look at some other some other. I, well, receivers. the other names I would have probably put close. Uh, Randy Moss. Now, granted, he was only in major college football mm-hmm. the one year, but he was outstanding. And then Calvin Johnson was just, yeah. I mean, he had he had Reggie Ball thrown to him, and I'm still not even completely convinced that Reggie Ball knew he was playing quarterback all the time. And Calvin Johnson was just virtually unstoppable. So those yeah. are just – but Fitz just for me, like Fitz is more on that – you're right. In theory, he's probably more on like the Cam Newton, Joe Burrow scale where, you know, he had a shorter career that was so excellent. But, eh, you know what? I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like I made a mistake putting him on no. there, but he would not be my top guy of the last 20 years. No. He's just my top receiver. That was a good team. Uh, some questionable character on that team, I think. Maybe not well, but the a best lot, locker room but, but guys. Let's be real. A lot of good football teams, you're probably going to have a couple of questionable characters. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can discuss this on the way over to uh, Antonio Brown's house, if you want to just. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I don't know what. Uh, Tomlin yeah, looks I like I a genius. That guy, like, I, I honestly, you know, I don't like the Steelers, but I, I, I can't believe he kept it together this long, the more the videos come out. Mm. 
I'm not sure he did. I think that they were they were just very good at uh, making sure stuff didn't get out. <laughs> that might be. That might be. Kent Brown, this was fun. It was a fun college football season. Thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. And uh, you never did tell me if uh, your shoulder hurts because you slept on it wrong or you got thrown out of a moving car. Oh, man, it was. I don't even want to actually admit what happened, but it was option C. It was not A or B in that case. Uh, that's great, Kent Brown. Thanks. Let's again. just say they don't always fight that. <laughs> they don't. They don't. Uh, we'll keep that one in. All right, Kent. Thanks for coming on. All right, huge thanks to Kent Brown for breaking down the college football championship game. And congrats again to LSU. And uh, remember, for $600, he can sell you a fully adjustable hospital bed. Unless you play hardball, then it's $550. But thanks again to Kent Brown for coming on. We're going to go to the pro game now with Chris Miller. Titans are on the rise. Can they beat the Chiefs? What is going to happen in the NFC title game between the Niners and the Packers? How did they get there? What are we looking at for potential Super Bowl matchups? We break all that down on the Money Mitch Effect with Chris Miller now. Our NFL down to the final four teams. The divisional round was a wild one. Chris Miller on the show to break all that down. Chris, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Of course, man. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and I have to remember too. Um, you know, we we like to do these informal wagers, right? And and this year it was a division, a 500 team or better to make a run at the That's Super right. Bowl. And the the wager was. You'd dress up as their mascot if they made if they I think if they made the Super Bowl was the bet. This year was if they'd won a playoff game. Yeah, okay, it was just I to win a playoff game. Hang out head to toe and 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 team swag. You picked the Rams, but you almost picked the Titans. That's why I'm bringing this up. I did almost pick the Titans. You actually I, said it was low hanging fruit and it wouldn't be fair enough to do that. And here we are with the Titans. One went away from the Super Bowl. It's hilarious. I, I think like everybody else. I slept on this team, and I think that's part of the reason why they are one game away from the Super Bowl is so many people sort of forgot about them, and they got a big chip on their shoulder, and it comes, you know, it starts with their head coach, uh, Rabel, and they're out there trying to prove that they deserve to to be in the, the big game, and, and boy, they're they're playing great right now. Yeah, you would have had to dress up as a raccoon because that's their uh, T-Rack. I think I looked him up before we started as their mascot <laughs> name. And that's the official state animal of Tennessee. So you would have been dressed as a raccoon at your at your office, which would have been great content. But you went a different direction. You went with the Rams and they flamed out. So you did make the right call. Uh, not the best <laughs> call for content, but... As it is, there's four teams left. We're going to break down a divisional round in just a second, but as we're about to record, uh, news came down, kind of some somber news. Weekly is retiring at age 28. Uh, this is a guy, Chris, that has been a standout defensive player of the year, legend in the Carolina area, a, a new hybrid type for the position itself. He retires at 28, had the health issues. I think it's a Hall of Fame career. But it's sad. I mean, he's making the right call for his future, for his health, for the quality of life. But uh, selfishly, as football fans, we're all going to be sad to see Luke go. Oh, 100%. You know, I've always been a, a big fan of, of good defense. And Kat, when he was good, he was hands down one of the best, if not the best, players on the field during his time. 
Yeah, he was uh, without. I mean, I think without equal for a lot of those years. People really, the last couple of years, he slowed down with the concussion problem. Um, but you know, in his heyday, especially, he was the leader of that defense. He was he had he had speed. He was strong and, and the best tackler in the league for a lot of years. Uh, just a oh, great yeah. player. The, the the speech he gave from the linebacker room was great. It was about three and a half minutes long. I urge everyone to watch it. It was uh, a great job. It was you know it's obviously a sad moment. He he talked about the good times and and what sports is all about. All the relationships uh, that you build. And I liked all the tributes too. I mean, all the tributes for, and a lot of them were from competitors. That said, yeah. like, this guy was a handful to go against. They respected the competition, and they're gonna sad. They're gonna be sad to see him uh, no longer playing on Sundays as well. And one of the things that I think goes overlooked with him, for a linebacker, some of the best hands for a defensive player, too. He had a lot of picks, you know, and several pick sixes, and some of those catches that he made uh, from the defensive side of the ball were were pretty spectacular. I mean, he was just top to bottom, a phenomenal player, a good guy, worked his butt off, and it showed, and yeah, he will definitely be missed. I'm I'm definitely going to miss watching him play, but I'm glad I got to see him when he was there. So yeah, in the last two years, Luck and Keekly both retired before their 30th birthday. Just shows you how fast, you know, it can all go, and, um, you know, players have to kind of know that there's no long-term benefit. There's no long-term guarantee, I should say. Um, it could be your career could be over at any time, and uh, Keekley made that decision here. So uh, we wish him the best. We'll talk about the games that took place in the divisional round. I've gone on record for a while as saying that's my favorite weekend of football. It's the last weekend of four four games. Uh, the first game of the weekend on Saturday saw the Niners, the number one seed in the NFC. They looked like the mm. number one seed, and they thrashed the Vikings. They won that game comfortably, twenty-seven to ten. This yeah. was a, a lot of uh, things to like about the Niners, but you got to start with that defense. Their bread and butter all year was that defensive front, and they just absolutely handled Minnesota from start to finish. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, they couldn't get anything going. The only decent play that Minnesota pretty much had the entire game was this was the Stephon Diggs touchdown pass. <laughs> I mean, they made Kirk Cousins uh, look like Kirk Cousins. And surprisingly, I mean, they, they shut down the run game, too. I mean, it was, yeah, from top to bottom, that run game, you know, controlled the clock. The, you know, Tevin Coleman had a great game. And, boy, that defense, they are – that well, looks a lot like the Harbaugh era defense. I mean, frightening. I, I can be critical of Kirk Cousins, too, but I'll say this. With, when If Cook doesn't get going, that team really doesn't have a chance to win. And yeah. I would – I would struggle to find any quarterback in this league, even Mahomes, you know, even Rodgers. If you're not going to get blocking from your line and no run game, you're not beating that team. <laughs> it's yeah, just not going to exactly. happen. The Niners with Bosa and Buckner and Armstead just rotating bodies. Sherman had the pick. He even acknowledged as much that, you know, it's a very good benefit to be playing with that front interior that the Niners give you because they definitely go hunting uh, for the quarterback. But the offense, the offense was interesting too because Garoppolo made some mistakes. He put together some big drives when he needed to. Cal Shanahan's play calling was on full display. What stood out to me, you mentioned the running backs, and they have three running backs they like, and it really doesn't matter who you know who has the hot hand; they'll just feed it. Like it was <laughs> Coleman was having a great game. Yeah, Breda, cool. Breda, Breda's good. They can put Mostert yeah. in there. I mean, any one of them can do damage. They're different, but they all you know accept their role. 
And, uh, you know, it's a very simple formula. They're, they're going to just play great defense, limit the turnovers, get the big pass plays they need to, but that have, get a lead and ride that run game, and, and they will go very far, maybe all the way this year. Oh, yeah. I think I think this uh, NFC Championship game is going to be a real fun one to watch. I mean, it's Packers, Niners, you know, for a chance at the Super Bowl. It's good classic sort of newish rivalry between the Packers and the Niners. You know, it goes back to the to the mid-late 90s in the Brett Favre era, but it's turned into uh, one of the better postseason rivalries in the yeah. NFC. And it's good to see this classic matchup. And, I mean, the Packers are playing some of their best football too. So yeah, uh, this is going to be a real fun game to watch. It's a weird Packers team in the sense that it's not what we're used to, but it might be better than what sure. they've had <laughs> in, in a very long time. Packers make the conference championship game by beating the Seahawks 28-23. to And, uh, you know, to see a team led by Aaron Rodgers rely on the ground game, this was, you know, this was his best game in a long time. This was the game they needed him the most. I totally understand what the offense is, has transformed to. Aaron Jones has become a monster. He scores at an alarming and an impressive rate. But they needed Rodgers to yeah. make some throws and what i saw in this game it was throw after throw on third down extending drives they were money whenever they needed to be and uh, especially at the end of that game yeah. you know they, they put the game on ice with some with some throws by aaron Rodgers. it was a vintage performance in the clutch for Rodgers, and you could tell that he kind of senses that this team has the potential to be special and he's got the supporting cast this time i think this was in some ways aaron Rodgers doing his best tom brady impersonation you know, he was efficient. He made the passes that he had to make. Credit to his uh, his line for most of the game. I mean, they gave him the time to make the make throws, but even when they didn't, I mean, he was throwing up some pretty pretty special balls there. I mean, it was uh, fun to watch. And this is easily one of the best Packers defenses I've seen in the Aaron Rodgers era. Yeah, so, I think it's the first top ten. De- game. I think it's the first top ten defense they've had since they won the Super Bowl. So, you know. That tells you a lot of what you need to see. Uh, I will say one thing. I don't think the Seahawks would have broken six wins if they didn't have Russell Wilson. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. The guy I mean, just Wilson... does everything. And, he, and even then, you felt like if they were going to get the ball back, they probably had a good chance to score if they could have gotten the ball back. Um, they had no run game. The receivers are good. Obviously, DK Metcalf. A lot Ooh, of teams yeah. got a, a lot of teams have to wonder why they drafted the receivers they did uh, before he was the last <laughs> pick in the second round. But, oh yeah, but what the Seahawks did in, in the wake of you know some injuries, obviously all the running backs get hurt, the lines injured and struggled. The defense had some injuries too. Russ made plays, got them as far as I think this team could have gone. Like this is this is the if you're a Seahawk fan, I know playoff losses hurt. But you're looking at this year thinking this is pretty ridiculous that we made <laughs> that we made the the final eighth and we're within striking distance at Lambeau against Green Bay. That that's a that's getting the most out of what you had. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, and honestly, when you talk about MVP, it, it really I think needs to go to Russell Wilson because well, it's going to go to Lamar. But I agree with you. I think I mean you yeah, have, but you have to look at that V part of mm-hmm, it, valuable. Mm-hmm. Like which player really brought the most value yep. to their team. And I mean, it's hands down Russell Wilson. Not nothing against Lamar Jackson. Had a you know phenomenal year up until you know last Sunday. He was really fun to watch. But I think the Ravens could have still been a, a pretty darn good team without him. 
but the Seahawks, no way the Seahawks go 11 and five and come within inches of being, you know, the three seed, you know, in the playoffs without Russell Wilson. Yeah, this isn't the recency bias article or uh, argument, I should say. Um, my my debate is the same one. If Lamar Jackson's not on the quarterback, if we take a quote unquote average quarterback, whatever you want to call it, the Ravens in a down AFC AFC North, I should point out, are probably in that nine and seven, ten and six range, where maybe they maybe they make the playoffs as the division champs. I think there'd still be a good chance with Ingram in the running game and the defense. Uh, yeah, but maybe they don't. But okay, eight and eight at worst, nine and seven. 10 and 6 is probably in that range. The Seahawks yeah. with an average quarterback are 5 and 11 or 4 and 12. I mean, that's just what would happen. They're not well, going to knock that good. If you if you look at the Niners team, I mean, I think we can both agree that the Niners are hands down a more talented team than the Seahawks. And the Niners yet, had an advantage at every it, other position except for it quarterback. Came down to what? Less than a foot yeah. over them having the same record and the Seahawks with the tie break after beating, the, you know, they would have beaten the Niners twice this season. And and that's with a far less talented team, and, and that hundred percent, you know, falls on the shoulders of, of Russell Wilson. That he's a phenomenal quarterback. I think he's one of those guys that doesn't get enough respect. And it's you know crazy to say about Russell Wilson, but he really doesn't. You know, I mean, he's he's incredible. He really is. Yeah, it was another remarkable year for the Seahawks. If with some retooling, I think they'll be back. As long as Wilson's there and healthy, they're going to be a contender. But the Packers move on. NFC title game is set. Money Mitch effect here with Chris Miller breaking down the NFL playoffs. In the AFC, Saturday night gave us the upset of probably the year. Titans beating the Ravens and, and really handling them. I know the Ravens ran up a lot of yards in this game, uh, but they did not score points. They got stuffed on fourth down. They had turned the ball over. They lost 28-12 to at home. Top seed in all football was one and done, 14-2. and two. And they lose to the Titans in a really game that wasn't close for much of it. Titans 28-12. to A couple of things to break down with this game. But I think it has to start with Derrick Henry. Because <laughs> what he's done, three straight games, 180 yards, never been done before. He's oh, yeah. starting his playoff career. The only guy who started it better so far is Terrell Davis. And he's a Hall of Famer and went on one of the great runs to win a Super Bowl title. Derrick Henry's a beast. He even threw a touchdown pass as well. Yeah. They can't <laughs> stop him. They don't want to tackle him. When you, have a guy, when you have a guy like Henry, Chris, it completely changes the game and, and gives you that identity that the Titans have been lacking for so long. They now have with who's probably is the best running back in football. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, 195 yards rushing? And he threw as many touchdown passes as Lamar Jackson, the, the potential MVP. He was doing everything. No rushing touchdowns, if I, if I see correctly, but... Still, I mean, when you carry for 195 yards, you don't really need to necessarily punch it in. You're going to make things so much easier for Tannehill, and that's what he's done this whole year. And a lot of credit to Tannehill. I mean, yeah, he didn't necessarily have a, a lights-out spectacular game. He didn't need to. But since taking over the quarterback spot for Tennessee, I mean, they've been, I think, what, 8-3 and three is him as a starter? Yeah, it completely, uh, changed, the, it completely changed their season. Tannehill's mobility has, is – his legs, but also his ability to make plays and know when to tuck it and when to throw it and not turn yeah. the ball over have been huge. But Chris, I mean, Derrick Henry has grown men in the NFL afraid <laughs> to tackle him. This this is only the comparison yeah. I'm making is to Mike Tyson back in his boxing heyday when he had grown professionals scared to fight him. So well, the, yeah, well, 
I mean, have you seen Derrick Henry's legs? I mean, his legs are bigger than you and me combined. If you literally stuck you and me next to each other, his legs are still wider than he's us. He's talking to his linemen, and they're like eye level with level. Like, he's just as big as them. It's yeah. pretty crazy. Uh, but I will say, Vrabel, you mentioned him at the top. He deserves a lot of credit for this, for getting his team motivated, for getting them to buy into believe, but also the game plan was very good. We, we worried about this Ravens team with, with the Titans that if they get a lead, can the Titans come back? Here's what Vrabel did. He didn't abandon the run early on the, on the first drive that, that they didn't score on, but he would go for the jugular when he needed to. They get that fourth down stop up 7 nothing. First play, oh, we're yeah. going deep. We're going to try to score, stretch this lead. Um, so the Titans, the Titans are great. And the defense that all year, we, we I think deservedly so, marginalized them for not getting the job done and a lot of a lot of high-scoring games, especially that one against the Saints at home that they lost, where the defense let them down. The last two weeks, they've held them. They've held def- they've held teams under twenty points. This was Lamar Jackson, and I know they put up a lot of yards, but down in distance, third and short, fourth and short, they were outstanding. This Titans deed deserves a lot of credit too. Oh, hands down, and a lot of that mentality again comes from their head coach. Obviously, he was a phenomenal defensive player in him, and I mean, this is this is the Titans team that I think we we thought we were going to see this whole season after week one when they played the Browns, where everyone was like, oh, the Titans are really good. And then they sort of struggled a little bit. You know, Mariota was, was uh, let's say, off, um, <laughs> to say the least. They made the change, and the mentality, the whole thing switched, uh, and uh, they're, they're playing phenomenal football. And, you know, I watched them when they played the Raiders, and I was – I was kind of thinking the Raiders were going to win that game. I thought they'd be a little more competitive, and uh, just watching Tannehill dismantle them, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is a much better team than people give them credit for, for sure." And on top of Derrick Henry, who's a, obviously a phenomenal ground threat, I mean, AJ Brown again, not necessarily a phenomenal game for him because their passing game was he's a stud, though. But God, he's he's going to make things very interesting for a a marginal chief secondary. So this is going to be a, a real interesting game. And I think the Titans really have a chance to, uh, to go into Kansas city and, and shock the world. Well, I just want to also say on the Ravens, I don't want to get into obviously one game. It stings that they were one and done. They still did remarkable things this year. More, most rushing, rushing yards by a team in NFL history in a regular season. Mm-hmm. I don't want to dance on Lamar Jackson's grave, uh, even though this was two straight years where there have been playoff shortcomings. I think the playoffs are a different beast. He's going to get yep. many cracks at this to figure this out. I would say personnel-wise, they should probably invest in a legit number one receiver. I know they like the tight ends, and I know they like the running game, but there were times, you know, and you could say even with Brown and the Titans, it helps to have that guy you can trust in big moments. I know they have Hollywood Brown, and they like Mark Andrews as the tight end, and you know, they have some pieces, but they never really had that go-to guy this year. That'd be the one roster move. I'd say try to find an alpha at the receiving core. I think that would help Omar out. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think they have a lot of good, not great receivers. You know, I think I think Brown is good, not great. I mean, he, he also had some injuries and what have you, but he's sort of a, a home run or, or drought sort of receiver, it seems, at least so far. I'm a big fan of Seth Roberts, but obviously, you know, he's more their possession guy. He's sort of the third down uh, receiver. Willie Sneed, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's Willie Sneed. Like, he's going to have games where <laughs> well he's amazing. 
He's going to have games where he's amazing. He's going to have games where, you know, he's not. It kind of like Marcus Brown in a lot of those ways. They have a lot of receivers that could have really good games, but might not. And if they all have bad ones at the same time, we're, we're left exactly. with this. So I, I, yeah. I, I you know, they're going to, they're going to have chances obviously. And, but you know, all it takes is one game against the, against a team with some bad dudes on it. And, uh, you know, you can be headed home. That's what I think we love about the NFL playoffs is that it's sudden death elimination and every oh. game matters. Uh, speaking of every game matters, Chris Miller on the Money Mitch Effect, the uh, the other AFC game, Chiefs and Texans, my, <laughs> my goodness. All right. <laughs> wow. 21-0 after the first Texans were leading. They stretched it to 24 to nothing, and then the Chiefs rattled off four straight touchdowns. So they made yeah. up that. They were leading by four and a half, and they won by 20, 51 to 31. Uh, I've never seen a game like this. I don't think we'll see a game like this maybe ever again. It it comes back to this Chiefs offense catches lightning in a bottle better than any offense I think I may have ever seen. Oh, yeah. And I remember uh, checking the score of that game because I was uh, out and about with my, with my kid at the time at the playground, and I was checking. I was like, oh, my God, the – you know, the Texans are up 24 nothing. This is insane. And then a little bit later, it's like, oh, my God, the Texans are down 28-24. to 24. This is insane. And wasn't there a Raiders game earlier this year, Raiders-Chiefs, where similar things happened, where Mahomes went nuts in the second quarter? I feel like yeah, that happened the, earlier this year. The first game that they played the Raiders when it was in Oakland, the Raiders were up 10 nothing. I think, at the end of the first quarter. And they looked like they were controlling the game. And then I believe the Chiefs scored 28 points in the second quarter, <laughs> which is very similar to what they just did against the Texans. Well, the so. game the game itself, I mean, that's why scores and, and can be misleading. Uh, the Chiefs' offense, they had some drops. You know, the one of the touchdowns was a blocked punt return. It was uncharacteristic, but it wasn't as if the Texans' D was shutting them down. That was important to note, that they were kind of self-inflicted wounds. You need need a spark. You need an opportunity to get back into the game. Bill O'Brien, for whatever reason, decided to give it to them by calling that fake punt when it's a 24-7 game. Totally don't understand that. We can question certain decision-making about not going for it when it's, you know, 21 points. And and I understand that more, but uh, O'Brien definitely kind of let this game get away from him at times. But... I'll give him this, and I know he's easy to criticize as the coach and by obvious means. Yeah. Chris, they gave up 51 points. At a certain point, players have to look themselves in the mirror. I don't care who the coach is. Like It does not matter to me. If I'm a player on that team, I'm disgusted with what happened because they could not stop the Chiefs from the second quarter on. Oh, 100%. I mean, and this is kind of why, to take this back to the Raiders for a second, why I wasn't fully upset with them trading away Cleo Mack, right? Because Cleo Mack's a hugely paid defensive lineman. J.J. Watt, you know, before that was one of the highest paid defensive linemen. And your defense still gives up 51 points, you know? I mean, so what's why are they spending all this money on guys who are just going to get run over? You know, spread that money around, make your team a better team, and, yeah, the, <laughs> the Texans, they just they got steamrolled. I mean, it's no other way to put it. And I mean, they have some good defensive players. You know, Watt's good, Merciless is good. <laughs> but other than that, like it's it was uh, <laughs> just I don't I don't know I don't I don't know if you put this whole blame on the defense. It's hard to say not you know not to put the whole blame on them when you get fifty one points in three quarters too. I mean that's quarters. part of it. Uh, uh, the secondary needs some work. I think clearly Kelsey 
they could not stop at all. He had a monster game, and Mahomes is special. He made plays. Mahomes. They operated. They operate at the fastest clip too. We talk about the Ravens' offense, but the Chiefs—they're going, going, going. And and when they mix oh, yeah. in Damian Williams not running the ball well, you got to keep honest with him. They can go hill over the top. Hardman's contributing. Kelsey—they got weapons. Sammy Watkins too. He had a game. Yeah, Mahomes had fifty-three yards on the ground. You know, he was their leading rusher. So. It's gonna be interesting. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how this this lightning fast offense goes up against a grinded out tough defense. Well, yeah. Let's let's talk about that one first. Run first, game because I, I I agree. I think this is this is fascinating. It's about a seven and a half point spread right now. I think that might be a little too big. I think this game will be closer. Yeah. It feels like a snug, um, a little too close for comfort game for the Chiefs. I do think they're going to win this game. I think the Titans have the opportunity to win. I just do wonder at some point, will Derrick Henry realize he's a human being? Maybe he isn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe we're all in for the rude awakening when he when he reveals after a Super Bowl that he's a cyborg. I don't know. But, um, you know, there's a lot of wear and tear in, in a short amount of time for Henry. Um, but, you know, what game this actually reminds me of is that Jaguars-Patriots AFC title game a few years ago. Yeah. Or a team's coming in with momentum. They don't have the flash. They don't have the players that maybe have name recognition. But they mm-hmm. have a style that works well in any arena, on the road, at home, does not matter. Um, I do think, though, that what the Chiefs group is that when they're down, they could take a punch in the face. They have plan B, plan C, plan D. The Ravens didn't necessarily have that. And this time of year, your A plan, your, your number one game plan is not always going to work. I think the Chiefs can can rally uh, and I think this game will be a close one, but I do see the Chiefs winning. I think their defense, which deserves a lot of credit for only holding the Texans to 10 points the last three quarters of that game as well. I think they're playing better, and I think I don't know if the Titans have just enough offense to score. I, I see this one in the range of, like, I'll say 28-24. I think that's a, a, a good prediction. I mean, obviously the, the last thing the Titans want to do is get into a shootout because they will not win that. They're not a shootout team. They do have, you know, that home run capability with Brown as a receiver. But yeah, if I think if they can make this a grinded out game in the cold, just smash mouth old school football, I, I can see them coming away with this win. But you know, I don't want to bet against Andy Reid and and Mahomes together. They they've got so many weapons, but that defense is so sketchy. So I think it's going to be a good one. I. I Kind of, I kind of think the Titans might come away Ooh, with this one. I like I do. it. I, I do. I think. Th- I think they. I've seen enough of, in the recent weeks to be a believer, and you know, All right. we'll see. Plus, I mean, I, I can't root for the Chiefs. You no, know I know you can't. Well, that's good. Chris is. Uh, he's he's going to tighten up with the rest of Nashville, as they say. And uh, yeah. he's going to go with the Titans here. Uh, I do think it's a great city. I've yet to go city. to Kansas City, so uh, <laughs> I don't think that's on. You don't. You're not going to root for Kansas City. Go ahead, say their barbecue sucks too. Really, just dump on. I them. can't. I can't <laughs> say that. I, I'm sure it's amazing. I, uh, you know, that's great. Uh, well, the NFC game is going to be, I, I think, one that we're all looking forward to. It's the later game, Packers and Niners. You mentioned the rivalry. We even saw the Niners have beaten them in two playoff games within you know the last decade, too. So there is some recent history there. There's also the fact that Rodgers wanted his barrier kid, wanted to play for the Niners. They passed on him. You know Those people aren't still in power, but you know Rodgers thinks about that stuff. These teams drafted Chris fourth and sixth. Niners were fourth in the draft, 
And, mm. uh, you know, I, I think it was from about fourth last year. Um, actually, second last year in the draft because where they got Bosa. And then, uh, of course, the Packers were the six, were six and ten last year as well. So two teams that were on the outside last year, and they're in the NFC title game. And uh, looking at it, Niners beat the Packers down in the early part of the season. They're yep. going to get them at home. Rodgers is playing well. Jones is playing well. This should be a, hot, a tightly contested game. But I'm not picking against the home teams this weekend. I think the Niners continue and they win. And I think that interior makes the difference. I think they can neutralize Aaron Jones. And when you do that, you see this Packers team is night and day from what they are. Very few teams have been able to do that all year. San Francisco was one of them. I like them to ride in this momentum. As long as Jimmy, J, Jimmy G doesn't sabotage the game, I think the Niners win, I'll say, by about 10. Boy, you know, this is a tough one. I think, yes, I th- I think the Niners can shut Aaron Jones down. And, and what makes the Niners scary defensively is that they can they can shut Aaron Jones down without having to stack the box. Um, you know, they could play four, five, six in the box and not have to bring, you know, a seventh or eighth person in there and and still shut down the run because that front four is so freaking scary. No, you know? No, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> and, and they can bring pressure without blitzing too. So – I think if they shut down Aaron Jones, which I think they can, that definitely will make this game very difficult for the Packers. But at the same time, I mean, you you gotta you gotta honor, you know, Aaron Rodgers' ability to make plays and uh, and make throws downfield, and I think that could be enough to stretch the Niners' defense a little bit. I like this to be a close one. I I, I don't know if I could say who's gonna win. I okay. I, I think it's gonna be the Niners because they're at home. Obviously, weather really won't be much of a factor, but it's hard to to uh, rule out Green Bay. They've got a, a pretty solid defense, so this is going to be. I, I think this is going to be a fun one. I think this is going to be another classic Niners Packers game. I I give the edge to the Niners, though. Okay. Sure. Well, the, the spread's seven and a half, so I'm going to say Niners cover this one. Chiefs don't cover their seven and a half point spread, but uh, I'm looking at. The uh, Joe Montana Bowl would be my prediction in the uh, Niners Montana. Chiefs. But we could have the State Farm yeah. Bowl with Chiefs and Packers as well. Um, a lot of commercials there. And then I don't know what the Titans don't really have any. Did Elvis Gerbach also play for the Niners and the Chiefs? Sure. Can this, can this be the Elvis Gerbach Bowl? Because when I think of Joe Montana, I think of Elvis Gerbach second. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> Um, now this should be fun. I'm excited for the footballs. I know you are, Chris Miller. Thanks for coming on. Uh, oh, we should yeah, also sure. mention that uh, shout out to the uh, the Hall of Fame guy who who may be the biggest human being on the planet. Do we know that for sure? Oh, oh, the the president of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, the guy who's been surprising everybody. That guy oh, is. God, a, yeah, that man is, he's a he is a huge beast of a man. <laughs> uh, I've watched a lot of. Um, the announcement videos where he goes to the different like hotel rooms and stuff, knocks on people's doors. And I mean, he's talks to offensive and defensive linemen and and they look fairly small next to him. Yeah. Shout out to him. So if if he shows up at your place, whoever's listening out there for sure. I mean, if he knocks on my door, I'm going to be like, Oh my God, I'm going to the hall of fame. (laughs) Yeah. Just (laughs) go off and feed him because I feel like he'll probably eat you out of house and home. He probably would. He probably would. (laughs) Chris Miller, this was fun. We'll check in sometime down the road. Thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Yeah, of course, man. Always a pleasure, man.
All right, huge thanks to both Kent Brown and Chris Miller. A couple quick thoughts now, though, before I let you go in the NHL. Gotta like Columbus. The Blue Jackets are rising. Elvis Merrillikens is on a roll. Another shutout. Back-to-back shutouts. Blue Jackets tied for the wild card spot. The Vegas Golden Knights fire their coach and GM. Gallant is out of there behind the bench. We've got like the sixth head coaching fire in the NHL already this year. We haven't even gotten to February. It is a brutal time to be an NHL head coach, but we know that you can win a title making the coaching change. We've seen it in the last couple of uh, years, within the last decade and beyond, just a little bit with Pittsburgh and L.A. doing so. Uh, and also, got to point out, Matthew Kachuk, Cassie, and that feud going on in the Battle of Alberta, Battle of Alberta, Edmonton, and Calgary. Like Matthew Kachuk, he's a grinder. He's a little bit of a rat, some would say. He plays on the line. He's got a ton of skill. And I know what he's doing instigating fights. But you might have to answer the bell, because if you don't, your teammates are going to. So Cassian is uh, is improving. He's not to be messed with, and this rivalry is just getting started. Love to see it. And uh, yeah, cheating and cheaters in general never win. Stealing signs is one thing, but what the Astros are doing, and now Alex Cora, two managers, two of the best managers in the AL in the last couple of years, we thought, fair and square, have now been fired. So Red Sox and Astros looking for new managers. The Astros cleaning house. It's a messy situation in baseball, but... Remember, kids, cheaters never win. <laughs> but that's it for today's Money Match Effect episode. If you like it, share it, subscribe. It's on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. Thanks again for listening. I'm Mitch Michaels. You're listening to, and you have listened to, the Money Mitch Effect. Keep enjoying sports.